Okay, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, goofballs, scumbags, and everyone else in between. Y'all know what time it is. We are back at it yet again. This is the Football Misfits, home of the Footballing Misfits, episode 153. We're getting up there in age, y'all. Look at us. Of course, I am your host with the most... LV, a.k.a. Paper Fronto, a.k.a. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, a.k.a. Buck Nasty, the Sad Spurs fan. <sighs> Not when the ref's on your side. Ooh, look at that. <laughs> Neither here nor there. We shall get to that. Uh, a quick mention, of course, uh, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Misfits, our boy, Ronnie, is unavailable tonight. Uh, he has been subbed out of the pod for the evening due to important goings on, if you will. Juventus drew nil-nil with Atalanta, uh, so he had to make an emergency stop over in Turin to take care of business. We wish him the best in that, of course. But have no fear, y'all. Uh, with Ronnie out, we do still have that man. You know him. So do I. Uh, he's at the data desk. He is the Spencyclopedia Britannica. He is Spencer Povich, Spencer Dino Perez, Spencer Romano, Spencer Get It Done. I'm talking about the one, the only, the man who I know as Spencer, and I believe so does he. Spencer at the data desk. Spencer, say what's good for the one time. What's going on, everybody? Peace and love. Peace and love. And if you can hear him loud and clear, that is a a more solemn Spence because. <laughs> We got him this weekend. We got him. <laughs> we'll get to that. Neither here nor there. Um, it feels good to not be a red, a Liverpool fan at this moment. Uh, and you know I ain't. But I will say the question that I usually have for Ronnie is where should we begin? I think that we can start uh, this weekend's pod with a quick wraparound of the goings-on across Europe. And I think we can begin with the La Liga where the competition is pretty interesting uh, to start. Obviously, Real Madrid, the league leaders, following the weekend's affairs, Barcelona just behind them. They both had some interesting matches, if we're going to be fair. Spencer, since you're on the pod, and and since uh, Barcelona's win against Sevilla was a late winner, if you will, in the 76th minute with an own goal of Sergio Ramos, maybe we should start there. I just find it funny that them playing Sevilla, it being Barcelona, and Sergio Ramos, a Real Madrid legend, a known hater of Barcelona, was the cause of the own goal late on in the second half uh, to give Barcelona the three points and to keep them neck in neck with Real Madrid was an interesting stat. Barca, obviously, they just couldn't get what they wanted out of this match, I feel like. Um, Lewandowski was, was missing chances. I think Joao Felix, since he's come to Barcelona, his dream club, according to him, uh, has been one of their best players alongside that man, Joao jo Cancelo, as well, who might have been off the molly after a press conference with his big old eyes and the way he was responding. I'm not sure if you saw that, but that shit had me laughing. But Barcelona really couldn't get it done no matter what. They had their young boy, Lamin Yamal, who's, I think he's 16, <laughs> God damn, started this match against Sevilla. Uh, all that to be said, no Pedri involved. Uh, Gabi in the midfield, Gundogan there as well, Rafinha um, doing bits. It was not enough until a late effort caused an own goal, courtesy of Sergio Ramos. Barcelona with three points. 
Any thoughts on that juxtaposition of Sergio Ramos giving Barca the goal to win them a match? Oh man, I just got it's unlucky. It's unlucky. Uh, it was probably a little a little sweet for Barcelona, but it's just unlucky for, for Ramos playing for coming back to his boyhood club and then ending the game that way. Oh, that's just rough. You gotta feel for him a little bit though. No? Like you don't your heart doesn't go out to him? It's a tough way to lose uh, a game. I'm gonna be honest, I don't really care, but I just thought it was kind of like a meant to be type of situation where Oh no, nah, that's messed up. It was sad. It was sad. It was meant to be. It was like how did how did he Signed for Sevilla, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was his boyhood club. He played for yeah. Sevilla before he blew up and went to Madrid, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's back at Sevilla. He's, you know, he's experienced. He's won everything. Uh, he's just settling down. He's doing his thing. He's a leader in defense, as we know him to be. But for it to happen against Barcelona, it's like, damn, kind of written in the stars. The script, the script writing was fantastic, is, is what I took away from it personally. I didn't feel no way about it. I didn't feel for him. I didn't uh, feel very uh, happy for Barca, but I just thought it was very storybook-esque, if you will. Boo. <laughs> I, I do want to ask you, I mean, how are you feeling about Barcelona's team coming together? They are one point behind Madrid again after eight matches played. Are you threatened by them at all uh, in terms of uh, the league and what they've got going on? Yeah, of course. I think you got to be. I mean, if you're not paying attention to what they're doing, they're still getting points, um, still getting results. So, of course, it's going to make the the title challenge a lot more interesting. But, um, of course, Barcelona, they're, they're a good team. They have a lot of good players. It's always funny. It seems like when they have a star go out or someone gets injured, they have a kid from La Masaya that's just amazing. And they just pop right in, 16, 17, 18, doesn't matter, just straight from the academy. So, it's um, no, it's of course, it's going to make for a very compelling season. And you hope for, I mean, of course, we want, I know LV root for Madrid too, and I speak for Ronnie when I say you guys want Madrid to win uh, all the La Liga seasons. But it always is more interesting when it's a race and more a little bit more compelling. Ah, I like the little plug. That's sick. Um, that's Benzentino Perez at his best. Um, but I, I will agree with you in that you do appreciate any league uh, in Europe or uh, anywhere across the world when the title race is hotly contested. And right now, Barcelona, I think, in Real Madrid in terms of the league at least, seem to be on level pegging. They're both kind of picking things up again. Madrid, of course, have uh, some excellent players, and but do also have some big injuries. And you could say the same for Barcelona, but they're kind of finding like level pegging in terms of their ability. And I'm, it makes me really excited for what the next El Clasico will look like. Um, with Barcelona specifically, the thing that's interesting to me is that recently they've been finding themselves kind of in the mud against teams that you would assume they should beat. They were down 2-0 against Celta Vigo last week, and it took them three goals after the 80th minute to win the match, uh, with the last goal coming in the 89th. After that, they played uh, Mallorca midweek, and that was a 2-2 draw in which that they found themselves down 1-0 uh, very early on. So Barcelona's been having to do a lot of comeback-ish situations. Uh, and then you look at that match against Sevilla this past weekend uh, on Friday. All they really had to offer was that own goal, that lone goal for them to be able to take the three points. So Barca kind of getting it done, but not to the measurement, I guess, of, uh, you'd assume that they want to be at. So exciting to see what they will look like. But you mentioned Real Madrid, and we talked about uh, what this El Clasico could look like. It's exciting. They're very much on level pegging. Madrid themselves getting the dub over the weekend. Uh, over 
Girona, 3-0 win, Madrid with a red card as well. Obviously, in this match, we've got uh, Jose Lu scoring in the, uh, to start things against Girona, the, uh, the Man City uh, subsidiary, if you will. Or is that, is that a different team? I think it's Girona. No, it is Girona. But yeah. now, nah, I think the big thing we were even talking about, like pre-pod, I think it's got to be Jude Bellingham. It just feels like, from all the anticipation that was built around him, he might be exceeding expectations. He's just that good. Now, yeah, with with the uh, amount of money paid for him at the age that he's in, yeah, I, I guess from your point of view, because from a neutral standpoint, I watch Jude Bellingham and I think that he's delivering and over-delivering and playing so well. I'm not sure if this is this is his level or if he's playing above his level or if he's got more to show, um, but how exciting has it been to see him continue to like not only produce from the midfield, but literally be, he's got to be the leading scorer for Madrid, right? I think so. It's amazing. I mean, you know, at some point, uh, midfielders, their their goals start to um, to taper. So it's not like he's going to have, I mean, when's the last time we saw like a midfielder score 25 goals in a season? But it's just impressive to watch. You just got to just enjoy the magic while it happens. Be present in the moment and just like watch it all go down. It's, mm. it's impressive. Mm. Being present in the moment. I mean, that's facts. And with all the, again, we talked about all the injuries that Real Madrid have been suffering as of late. Uh, they're they still continue to put out a first eleven that's you know continuing to perform. Josello is one of them for me. I think he's been a very active player for Real Madrid over the last couple of match weeks, um, starting up alongside Vinny Junior up top and making things happen. He scored again against Girona. Uh, this is a player who I wouldn't have thought would be a standout name for Real Madrid. And I mean, apart from what Jude Bellingham has been doing, which is kind of like must see TV. Yeah, he's on loan too. Crazy! Uh, it's a big pickup, it seems. Cause yeah, no, he's he's taking the opportunity and he's he's running with it. My boy's delivering. Where was he at before? He's and he's oh wow, he's Spanish, born in Stuttgart. Look at that, on loan from Espanol and Espanol, like damn, bro, you couldn't do that with us. What's going on here? Um, but yeah, I think he's he's like you said, he's absolutely taking the the moment and running with it. Uh, he, he's gotten his opportunity and he's showing that he's ready to you know put in the work for the badge and he's doing absolutely that. That's That's got to absolutely help with someone of Jude Bellingham's uh, caliber in the form that he's in to get that kind of help from players who you may not have expected would uh, give you that kind of output. And I don't know if that's credit to the, you know, the front office or that's credit to the coach, um, but majority keeping things together regardless. And when you have that core in the midfield, I know you speak very highly of Fede Valverde, but uh, Chouameni, who again got a goal in this match against Girona and then, the old head, Tony Cruz, keeping his spot in the first 11. Um, and then Kamavinga kind of doing the James Miller thing, playing everywhere. Uh, yeah, it's just, there's like it, a running it, joke about that. He's, he's, he's very much James Miller because uh, seeing him play at left back is insane, but he does it well. Oh, yeah, no, he, he plays really well there. So, I mean, you, you got to give Madrid the kudos here, staying in things when you assume uh, after a bunch of injury that, they would be kind of held back, if you will. Um, but here they are, at the top of the table, continuing their dominance despite a loss against Atleti last last weekend. Another team in La Liga, who I guess we can really quickly touch on, uh, playing this weekend against Cadiz. And they were they found themselves in a similar situation where they were down 2-0 to start the match. Uh, happened today uh, as they're recording. Down 2-0 to start the match, and they scored three goals uh, consecutively to win the match 3-0. Two goals from uh, Angel Correa, 
uh, a quick brace, one in the first half, another one in the second half. And then in between with Noel Molina getting a goal, I think they're kind of finding their footing, a team who's been very inconsistent. But the way they set up and to see Koke in the center of that midfield with Anton Griezmann kind of getting his, whatever he wants um, and doing what he wants to do, finding himself back in, the, in that red and white stripes of Atletico Madrid and really being, you know, I guess feeling like he's at home. Uh, th- this is a team who you hate to kind of, you hate to watch at points, but when they get it right, they really, really get it right. And I guess that translates more in Europe than it does in La Liga, but uh, we'll see how they can keep things up. 3-2 again, the final score there for Atletico Madrid. If we're talking about the standings, we got Madrid up top in 21 points, Barcelona at number two with 20 points. Girona currently sitting uh, on third and 19. So depending on their form, they've won their last four. Uh, I guess you could consider it something impressive. Um, and then Atleti rounding at that top four. Uh, the Basque Derby also happened over the past weekend. Real Sociedad and Atletic Club uh, went head-to-head there. And it for a second, I mean, when I was watching it at least, it looked like it was all Atleti Club at the beginning with Iñaki Williams kind of doing his thing, the Ghanaian International. But Real Sociedad hit him with a three-piece, 3-0 three the final score there with Takefusa Kubo, who is absolutely all in right now a real madrid uh product yes i think so yeah 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 yes and they have a buyback clause allegedly oh my god here we go with the buyback clause <laughs> he is yeah that uh, madrid before and then i believe they sold him he's in madrid for three years and never played for them he kept going on loan crazy uh this might be the time to bring him back yeah like, like you said buyback absolutely balling for them for sociedad and showed in the three no win in the basket derby that uh, 3-0 win, which gave me the first 5-0 five, uh, five in the Misfits Cup of the season. We'll take that. Woo! I need that trophy back, Spencer. I ain't going to lie. Need it back. <laughs> need it back. I'm also a little bit nervous because normally I really stink in the first portion of the season. So with me getting a 5-0 this early, it makes me it makes me feel like uh, it might go bad. Ooh, you know? Picking up steam early and then you peter out. Yeah, yeah, that's similar to uh, Arsenal last season, you know. Um, who knows? Neither here nor there. That will do it for uh, La Liga as far as I'm concerned. Quickly in the Bundesliga as well, uh, the one match as far as I'm concerned, RB Leipzig versus Bayern Munich. We saw them in the uh, Pokal Community Shield or whatever it's called, with Leipzig giving them the ass whooping Harry Kane's first match. Uh, they didn't stand a chance in that Community Shield match. But as of yesterday, this was a bit more competitive. Uh, Leipzig putting up two uh, with Bayern also getting two on the scoreboard. And it's been Bayern's two main mans of the season, Harry Kane, who I believe has on now eight goals in six matches. And, and then Leroy Sané, who he's found a great uh, connection with, if you will, uh, also getting on the score sheet in the second half. Uh, for Leipzig, it was Lo- Lois uh, Openda and Castello Lokeba early on in the match. So Leipzig up 2-0 early on, Bayern getting two goals late to rescue the point. In terms of the standings, uh, I guess it, it, it does sort of have an effect with Leverkusen number one at the moment under Xabi Alonso. Bayern sitting in third behind VFB Stuttgart. Who the hell would have thought? Stuttgart sitting in second place ahead of Bayern Munich at the moment, courtesy of their main man, uh, Serhu Gurasi, uh, born in France, but plays for the uh, Guinea national team. He's the league leader right now in goals. In the Bundesliga, he's got 10 at the moment, violating the league at the moment. 
And for that reason, yeah, they, they're, they're sitting against the Bayern Munich. How often do you see things like that happen? Again, Munich with the, uh, their second draw in five matches can't be good for them. But Leipzig, with that draw, that does keep them in fifth behind Dortmund. Uh, who would also get a win over the weekend? But Leverkusen top dogs uh, at the moment, looking very uh, up and up for the for the man Xavi Alonso uh, over at Bayern Leverkusen. But that will probably also do it for the Bundesliga. We're keeping tabs, as we say, the the Bayern Munich meter. Uh, we have watch. Will y'all do it? Will y'all win the Meisterschale or uh, will Harry Kane uh, his go- a coupless drought continue on in Germany? Who knows. Um, neither here nor there. Really quickly in Serie A, Napoli obviously, despite their issues with Victor Osiman, he would score on the weekend against Lecce in a 4-0 win. Uh, more on that later. AC Milan will get the win over Lazio, who's been red hot. A 2-0 win featuring a goal from an American, Christian Pulisic, in the 60th minute. Uh, Inter Milan doing more of the same to Salernitana. 4-0 win. All of the goals coming from Lautaro Martinez. Go ahead, get a four-piece, something like uh, Juventus in Atalanta with a, a nil-nil draw today. Uh, Juventus, very funny looking, kind of getting wins from behind, still trying to figure things out, still uh, sort of re- relying on a Federico Chiesa, who is the man. Uh, Roma on kind of on top of things, getting a win over Frosinone today. The top four at the moment, Inter Milan up top on 18 points, AC Milan tied with them. Uh, Napoli on th- third place with 14. Juventus is sitting in fourth place with 14. So Serie A, of course, the parody is uh, alive and well. You never know who's going to run away with the league, and so it's good to keep an eye on that as well. Uh, but a lot of questions to be asked by plenty of teams at the moment. We could talk about a whole lot, a whole lot at the moment, but we should probably talk about the main thing that's been burning in the hearts and minds of many uh, and that has been the Premier League this past weekend. So much going on. Uh, obviously, I think the match of the week and the match that drew the most attention this past week, Spurs versus Liverpool. We'll get to that in just a second. Me being a Spurs fan and, of course, Spencer uh, pulling the strings for Liverpool. Uh, he's the man who brought Jurgen Klopp on. That's neither here nor there. Um, before we get to that, however, Man United's woes, they continue. Eric Ten Hag on the hot seat. I mentioned it last weekend. Uh, he is, I think he could be the man for the job. I think he should be the man for the job. But will he be the man for the job uh, after a loss this past weekend against Crystal Palace? A decent side themselves with a 1-0 finish. Joachim Anderson, the lone goal scorer. For uh, Crystal Palace at Old Trafford, another loss at home. Oof, nasty, nasty, nasty business. But sees United sitting in 10th place, cutting the table in half right where they stand with three losses in their last five. You have to wonder, what are the Glazers thinking? And I don't know, Spencer, And you know how I be. I'm ready to cut a manager's head off right away. Do you think they should stick it out with Eric Ten Hag? One, Spencer, do you think Eric Ten Hag... Uh, should get the time to to kind of right the ship, and then two, do you think he will get the time to right the ship? Because those can be two very different things. Uh, I think yes and yes. Because um, if you sack him now, who do you replace him with? Um, that whoever comes in will still have ten out players. Antonio Conte. I think you just yeah, but Antonio Conte needs money attached. He just doesn't come in during mid season, and then you can't spend money. No, because I mean, when he, did he, 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 he come to Spurs? 
Spurs. They did it with Spurs, and Man United probably have more money in their coffers. Uh, I don't know if Antonio Conte is the one. But I think you might have to, because even as we saw like with Arteta, I mean, Arsenal were more like trending upwards, but they had a, initially a lot of people wanted him out. They weren't really seeing the vision and kind of gave them some time, work with the players, and then they, they're they kind of re-emerging as a, as a big powerhouse in the Prem. So you probably have to give them time. Um, but football is, is a tough job. Um, the managers have a tough, are in a tough position. So he might not get the time, but usually I think you need a little bit more time. See if you can really get your, your system implemented. And he's had some injuries that don't help either. Fair enough. Um, and, and for what it's worth, I think uh, I do agree with you. I think that, and I've said as much in, in past episodes, I think Eric Ten Hag, based on all of what he's accomplished last season, we forget Man United finished third uh, last season after you know him coming in and removing Cristiano Ronaldo and that whole thing, uh, getting rid of Harry Maguire in the captaincy and that whole thing, them winning the Carabao Cup, so having a cup to their name, really riding the ship and kind of putting in a, them in a position to carry forward. I do agree that the injuries make it hard for him to, to play at their best, but there are some issues that are popping on. And if you just look at their last few results, they, I mean, they beat they they beaten Burnley, they beaten Nottingham Forest, and they beaten Wolves. Some of the worst teams in the Premier League at the moment. We know Burnley sitting in 19th place. That's relegation fodder. Wolves in 14th. They did get a win over Man City this weekend, which we'll get to. Um, but also looking not the best. Um, and so everyone else, they're kind of playing. Uh, getting wins over them. They lost to Spurs uh, in the Premier League. Uh, they took a, a loss to Crystal Palace just over the weekend. Brighton whipped their ass over the weekend. And then in the Champions League, uh, that match against Bayern Munich, uh, the scoreline looked a lot closer than the match itself was. Uh, and this is the Crystal Palace team that Man United beat in the EFL Cup, uh, if you will, just this past week. So a lot to be left to be desired from this team. But I don't want to make it more of what it's not. Obviously, you hit it on the head with injuries. They do have a lot of uh, working things out to do. But if I'm the front office, I'm the Glazers. I mean, this is a, this is a, a front office that stuck to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for way too long, in my opinion. So uh, I think in that in that moment with Solskjaer, they probably shouldn't have stuck with him that long. And so in this breath, I think they should stick with Ten Hag because he can be the man to fix things around. I think he does have quite the impression upon players. Um, and I think he can uh, do a bit. He can do a job. And so it'd be, it'd be sad to see them make the rash decision at the wrong moment when they could have done that with other managers in the past. So I think I'm going to stick with you. Uh, but it's hard to make a case for them, especially when they lose these matches that they should be winning. If they have a bad result against Galatasaray in the Champions League on Tuesday, which we'll get to, uh, they've got Brentford at the weekend. And that could be another, it could be another rough result. So if it gets worse, what more can you say for them uh, 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 ahead of the uh, uh, the Manchester Derby, which is happening at the end of uh, October? Um, so, I mean, a lot to be seen, but things are not looking so hot for Man United. And I, I imagine that Ten Hag's uh, seat is warming up a little bit more. It's not quite boiling, um, but it's definitely getting a little bit uncomfortable. I think his ass is a bit itchy. If we move on from that in the Premier League, a few more results before we get to the one that really had the headlines, that really had folks uh, spinning, if you will. 
you and me both included. Uh, one for me that stuck out, Aston Villa 6, Brighton 1. Spencer, we talked about Brighton and Roberto De Zerbi and how they've been able to chop and change players. They sell one player for $100 million, They sell another key player for this. They sell another player for that. And they find a replacement, and it works out with De Zerbi and even before De Zerbi. Now, this has been a team who has... Uh, conceded the, I believe, the third most goals in the league and also scored the second most goals in the league. So they've been on fire, but they've also been very lackluster defensively. Their matches are entertaining for a neutral. Uh, what do you make of this? I mean, Aston Villa, another team who got destroyed a few times this season against Newcastle, if I remember correctly, at the beginning of the season. What do you make of Brighton's chances versus Aston Villa's chances? as a hat trick for for Ollie Watkins, you know, the two goals in the first half and then another goal midway through the second half. It just got worse and worse and worse for Brighton. Where do you put a team like Brighton at this point in this Premier League season where everything seems to be very competitive, but they also seem to be a team that is making the news uh, a team to watch out for? When they lose like this, does, should that affect them? Should they be losing confidence? What are your thoughts? Uh, it might. I think losing like this is going to be tough. Um but I don't think it should do anything to like derail their season. I think it's just with the style they play, it's very open. Um, and kind of these things happen. I think the where it's kind of the, the gap in the prem where um, the poor team is really poor, but the teams that are kind of all around each other do have the the quality to surprise. I mean, these are these are players who are really good at what they do. And for his day, uh, he was, uh, Molly Watkins was on form and he kind of just, played really well so I think it's it's a tough loss for Brighton but I think they'll be able to bounce back they have the talent and they'll continue to press on I think it just might be a little blurb what do you think you think that Brighton's gonna capitulate I want to agree with you that uh I think the competition in the Premier League is very 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 hotly contested I think that going into the season Brighton and Aston Villa were two teams that I think were on the same sort of level pegging we talk about Barcelona and Real Madrid in terms of how they're building up I feel like Brighton and Aston Villa are in the same kind of boat. Uh, they've got two good managers, one of them up and coming in Deserby for Brighton. Um, Emery uh, for Aston Villa, one that's been established, has won a lot, has done a lot. It's clearly someone who knows what he's doing. Uh, so I, I was excited to see them, I guess, go at each other. It just shows Brighton's kinks in their armor. They're an incredible attacking side, but in every one of their matches, they either score a lot or get scored on a lot. They beat United 3-1. They lose here 6-1. It's just either or. I don't think, uh, like you said, I don't think it should ruin their confidence. They're a team that is, you know, attack first and very dynamic in the way they play. Their forward play is, is incredible. They've got incredible players. But I think uh, really my takeaway from all of this is that the Zerbi was outcoached. And we talk about the Zerbi as a manager, as him being that guy as him being next up, as him being a, a, a trailblazer, and and he's this, he's that. I think he was simply, he was outcoached. I think Una Emery gave him a little bit of, hey, hey, little man, like, I've been here, I've done that, I've coached at PSG, Villarreal, I've won in Europe plenty of time. I'm that guy, and I think that was the difference on the day. I think Una Emery just let his nuts hang a little bit, if you will. They've obviously got Ansu Fati there, they've got Matoma, uh, yeah. who's incredible, but, yeah, I think, again, not to run around in circles, but my main takeaway is that they were outcoached. Brighton was outcoached. The Zerbi was outcoached. 
and you need to kind of humble yourself a little bit. You're the man. I think you play great attacking football. But Unai Emery set his team up in a way that he just kind of ex out-experienced you. He out-coached you. And uh, you got to lick your wounds and hopefully get them back on the in the reverse fixture. But that's a win for uh, Unai Emery. And, and I think that's the one thing about the Premier League this season that I can really enjoy. There are a lot of good teams, a lot of decent teams. But I think that the number of really, really, really good managers in the Premier this season is very high. Uh, we talk about Burnley, who hasn't been hasn't been playing very well at all, who's been giving plenty of teams their first wins of the season, and yada yada yada. They sit in 19th place, but Company has had them playing in a in a way which is very threatening, and they've been losing games in a very close fashion. They've got one point for the season, but I mean they look they look very decent. Um, and just chalk that up all the way up top, you know, moving up to a Deserby who was at Brighton, uh, you know, even a David Moyes at West Ham. And then ultimately in, it, Uno, in an Unai Emery who has that experience, who really has shown that he is class. And so the managerial battles and the tactical battles between these teams this season will be so fun to watch. Um, and today was just another experience of that. And so no, no fault to Brighton. They did what they did and they got cooked. It's a tactical shift. I think they could turn around and, and win by a big margin next week. Uh, obviously, when they play Liverpool, it could happen. Or they could lose by a big margin when they play Liverpool. Uh, you never know. You know what I'm saying? Big good evening, if you will. Neither here nor there. One more thing before we get to Spurs and Liverpool. Man City with their first loss of the season. For me, honestly, I felt like City could, you know, they felt like they could go under, unbeaten the season the way they were playing pulling results out despite not having Kevin De Bruyne um, and having a couple of other injuries within their team, you know, having to start a Matthias, uh, a Nunez and, and having to start uh, Kovacic in their midfield and just feeling a bit different. But Wolves took advantage of that. And Matthias Nunez, I think, has to feel it the most. He went from Wolves to City and Wolves went ahead and got them three points. Um, obviously, I can imagine what your answer would be if I ask, uh, will this loss really mean anything for the for the league in itself or for Man City season? Probably not. Um, so I won't ask that question, but just something to point out. Um, and also, Erling Haaland's uh, sort of uh, performances over the last few matches, you could argue that he's out of form, but he is the top scorer in the league. Spencer, what do you say about that? He's the man. <laughs> it makes me not feel very good. For a man who we can argue is out of form, you watched against the match against Wolves and maybe in matches past, he's not really he's not quite gotten his shooting boots in order. However, he does have eight goals on the season, which is two more than the player behind him. Does that not make you feel good as well? What, what do you think? I think even when he's he's off form, he's on form. So I think it's going to be the league is in for something when he picks back up again. I mean, he's still playing really well, but I think of course in, in the season it's it's hard to upkeep his kind of like his exceptional standard that he's he's shown us that he's able to maintain but i mean if this is his lull in form <laughs> what happens when he wakes up again that that really does not feel good to think about um does that speak more about the league's uh i guess standing or more about the player is he that good um i mean his goal record would show that he's that good i think it's He's done it in different leagues, different teams. He just scores goals. Goals are goals are had. So I, I think it just might be this is him. This is who he is. He is who we think he is. Yeah, I think I'm there with you. I, I wanted to make an argument this morning when I thought about it. 
uh, and I'm thinking no KDB, no Holland, but he, he's done he's done as much uh, over in Germany. He's clearly got that in his package. That man is that man is him. Eight goals, leading the league, and uh, being quote unquote out of form. But we focus on the positives. Uh, Wolves take the three points, two one the final score there uh, yesterday with Wang Hee Chan being the uh, the match winner. Ooh, we love to see it. We love to see it. And Ruben Diaz, I see you with the own goal. Ooh. Not very good for you. Elsewhere in the Premier League, obviously, Arsenal win 4-0 against Bournemouth. Uh, Kai Havertz gets a, a goal finally after his terrible run of form. We talk about run of forms. Um, but he got a goal finally. It was a penalty, neither here nor there. But we move, and now we can really get into the nitty-gritty. I don't really care to talk about anything else tonight, Spencer. It's you. It's me. Uh, it's Liverpool. It's Spurs. Uh, oh, man, just like that. I think it's time to go. We ain't doing that because because there's been many a time. I remember uh, Spurs versus Liverpool. Uh, was it at Anfield? Was it at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? Where in the 92nd minute, Spur, uh, Spurs lose 2-1 after having had chances on chances to go ahead. But they lose in the dying seconds of the match uh, on a corner kick header where Eric Dyer falls on his face. It could have been Diogo Hota that scored. It could have been Henderson. I can't remember. But there has been many a moments between these two sides. And in recent history, uh, it's been Liverpool to come out on top. Uh, if we talk about the biggest occasion, the Champions League final, where Musa Sissoko was hit with a penalty shout early on, Liverpool go 1-0 up. And it was the worst Champions League final I've seen in years. But Liverpool took... They reaped the uh, the spoils, if you will. They took the dub. For clarity's sake, the final score here, 2-1 Spurs win at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. There is so much more uh, to react about. <laughs> VAR has some explaining to do, if they ever had explaining to do, more than ever in this match. The referee himself was yellow card happy against Liverpool. Uh, so I want to give you the floor. I'd like to hear your thought process throughout the match. What you felt, what you saw, and then with the final result, your takeaway. Um, this match was, I mean, it's been talked about everywhere, um, from pundits everywhere. This match was just something. I mean, depends which perspective you're speaking from. If you're a Spurs fan, um, you got the win. That's all that matters. If you're a Liverpool fan, um, it's just human error compiled with poor judgments which then feels like you've been wronged and there's just been a grave injustice done in the world. But uh, this, it's just, it was a rough weekend, depending which side of the fence you were on. Speaking in positives for the Liverpool team, they had a lot of heart. Um, it looked like they were going to gonna, gonna stay stay strong and get a win uh, and get a point out. Um, they, they worked hard, man. Even went down to, after they got two red cards, they worked hard. Of course, you're just upset, but sometimes it just doesn't work this way. I can't remember the last time I've watched the game down to nine players, nine, uh, eight outfield players, one go uh, and a goalie. But uh, it's just at this point, I've just said all I can say. We've heard all we can hear. We just need to see what happens after. Um, and at the end of the day, the, the apologies are a little too late. It's like points taken off the board. It's It's just so many things. But yeah, we just we we press on, I guess. I think you uh you make some very valid points uh from an opposition standpoint. I can't trip. I think watching it neutrally, I watched the match back as well, uh a second time just to kind of 
get a feel for it. The refereeing was insane. I gotta be honest. It was insane. And we have we've had days and we've had matches where you 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 look at the ref and you're like, man, are you drunk? I don't know what's going on here because I would have never made that call in a thousand years. But uh, some yellow cards I think were not not necessary. Obviously, the big moment of the match. I mean, I guess there were a few big moments of the match, being that Liverpool left with two red cards, like you mentioned. I don't really see matches where there are nine players left uh, on one particular side due to red cards. But that goal against uh, Luis Diaz, where, where he scores off of a counterattack and an assist for Mo Salah, which really figured out Spurs in the way that they were playing and kind of did what Liverpool do very well, you know, com combat pressure and, and counter with players that are just special Salah holding play up and finding uh, Diaz, who made the run and beat Poro and beat the keeper with a basically a cross field shot, uh, hit the back post and went in. For the ref to call that onside, I think was very draining for the Reds away from home. Was that after Spurs? Uh, was that after Liverpool was down to to ten men? No, Liverpool were down to ten when Diaz scored. I thought you scored 10, all that was the first goal because Curtis Jones got his red like the 30th minute or something like that. Yeah, I mean, um, that could have changed some things, my friend. I mean, yeah, yeah absolutely right. My, my thing was this look, Liverpool down to 10 men. I thought back to that Newcastle match, and I'm thinking, Newcastle, a great attacking side, they've been high flying, and Liverpool seemed to be, you know, almost better with 10 men than with 11. <laughs> it was insane. And they went on to win that match. So I was, I had the nervous pit in my stomach. I was stressed out. And sure enough, uh, I reaped what I sowed because Liverpool did get that goal through Diaz, which I was like, damn, that better not be 1-0 to Liverpool. Initially, the call was offsides from the si from the sideline ref, the touchline referee. And from there, I was like, all right, bet, we'll take that. VAR came in. I saw the lines. I thought it was offsides when I looked at it initially with the replay. Um, I didn't take into account that it was, in fact, onside until after the match when, one, obviously there was a statement given by PGMOL, the refereeing union or whatnot, and until I watched the match back the second time. But initially, I felt that that was offside. And obviously, the, the initial call was offside, so it was up to VAR to reverse that call, which they did not. Now, the reason why they did not is insane, and we'll get to that, but it was called off nonetheless. Sure enough, a few minutes later, Spurs go up and they score. Um, I want to give kudos to Spurs because of the way they've been playing this season and also the goals that they scored in this match were not bad goals. They were putting pressure on a Liverpool side, but you have to give the caveat that Liverpool were down to nine men. It's two men off the field and for Spurs to have to compete in that way against the Liverpool team who are better damn near with a man down. I mean, and who were holding their own with two men down. You gotta give kudos to the coach, Jurgen Klopp. You gotta give kudos to the players that were on the pitch on the day, who really, you know, they they adhered to that counterattacking style and really were def the, the stout in defense and were not afraid to go forward. They had chances after the red cards. Obviously the first red card with Curtis Jones, we should probably get into. Uh, do you think, looking back at it, that it was a red card or was that a bit harsh? I mean, when you look at the still, it looks harsh. It looks like a leg breaker. But, I mean, they've been changing the way rules are or, like, how they're giving out yellow cards this season. So maybe that's just one of them. Um, I mean, it, it does seem a bit harsh because in real time, goes for the ball, he rolls over the ball, and then catches his ankle studs up. So, I mean, when you watch it fully, it's harsh. When you look at the still, it's, it's a red. It's just the... 
everything just felt like it was against us that day. So it was just it just kept piling on us against Liverpool that day. <laughs> My man said us. Hey, let's go. Yeah, I, I think that looking back at that red card uh, call, his, his foot rolled over the ball first, and then it, he, you know, it, it was a high tackle, if you will. It was a high tackle. You know, his studs were up high on Basuma's leg, which could injure the player drastically in any way, shape, or form. So I can see if I can see why a referee would call that a red card. I think it should have been a yellow. It could have been a yellow, but I also can see why it was called a red. So that one, I'm not necessarily mad at. In my opinion, and again, I could be biased. Obviously, you know why, because my boys took the dub. She, but I can see through a referee's eyes why that could be a red. Now, I've seen contrasting opinions, basically saying like, if you've played football, then you can understand why that's not a red. Or if you look back at at the replay in slow motion versus real time, it might change your opinion. Which is a lot of times what happens with VAR in the Premier League specifically. But I can see why that's a red. Is what I'm trying to say. And that obviously, it, it didn't change the game too much. Obviously, Liverpool came up and, and scored and it was offside through that. Uh, Spurs would then go ahead 1-0. But Liverpool would equalize shortly thereafter through a Cody Gakpo goal just before halftime, which kind of showed how Liverpool were, were thugging and, and were really driven and had the mentality to win the match despite being a man down, which is rare. And, you know, you see that. But based on the results between Liverpool and Spurs in the last couple of seasons, you can expect Liverpool to have that sort of uh, uh, high hopes or the mentality of, of being able to win. But 1-1 into halftime, Cody Gakpo obviously goes off. He scores and tweaks his knee in a way that was very discouraging to see uh, because nobody touched him and and he, he limped off injured and obviously shortly after was subbed off for the second half for a one Diogo Hoto we should get to now in the second half. Uh, didn't last too long, Spencer. Uh, was given a red card after two yellows the first grand opening grand first of which you have (laughs) the first of which the first yellow card of which you have thoughts on um that was bullshit uh i'm not gonna use that kind of language sir but i (laughs) (laughs) i think it was on if you look at the replay from another angle it looks like a lot of times when like a player is close to another player but then the other player just trips on his foot like their own foot so then they just fall and it's like ooh, that's a foul so i mean whatever you got the first yellow, but then I guess maybe some frustration. You can't kick out to get the second yellow. I mean, you know you're on a yellow. It just happened 30 seconds ago. But um, it, again, it was just compounding the compounding effects of just when it's against you that day, it's against you that day. And that, that ref <laughs> wasted no hesitation. I, yeah, he just was like, nah, this, this, if the first one wasn't a yellow, this one definitely is. And good for you, uh, Lucky for you, you have another yellow, so that's a red. Yeah, quick the, math. The ref was quick maths, uh, quick draw McGraw on the day for sure. Um, I think uh, Andy Robertson was shown on camera uh, after a foul that was not given for Liverpool saying, we're down to 10 men. Do you think the ref should have had a little bit more grace for Liverpool based on the fact that you guys were already down a man? I mean, you got to ref the game how you ref the game. I don't. I don't think. You don't think he was wilding at all? Not even the, in the slightest. I don't. I think that time is it's too late. Um, maybe the first one you give like Hota talking to if you're going to give a yellow, but then he already has the yellow, and out of the two fouls, the most yellow card foul is the second one. Yes. So like to not give a yellow, like it, it's it's. 
if Holt, if Diego doesn't, if Diego doesn't put himself in that situation, then you don't have to get the ref to cut you some slack. You know what I mean? Fair enough. All right, so let's get down to the, into the nitty gritty. The foul on uh, Mo Salah, where he got a yellow card, where it was a breakaway chance, and Ibusuma tracked him down, stole the ball off, uh, and then Mo Salah dispossessed him near Spurs' box uh, midway through the second half. It looked like a weak foul given. How do you feel about that decision? I mean, because if I'm in your position, I'm thinking, all right, you're against me today. You've been paid off because that it would one look like it. It would look like it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Where were your thoughts when you saw that moment? Because that could have been a goal-scoring opportunity uh, for for Liverpool with Mo Salah on the ball near Spurs' box. However, he, instead he's given a yellow card for dispossessing uh, Yves Basuma, who I thought was great on the day. I don't know, man. Like, a yellow for that it just seemed like he was on one, I guess, today. I don't know. I think you're being a bit nice. Forget a yellow. A foul for that is crazy. And I'm, I'm talking on your behalf because we move. I'll take that. Neither here nor there. Ultimately, Liverpool down to nine men, still holding steadfast through 90 minutes with six minutes added on late on. Spurs now, I don't want to take away from their play on the day, still very much attacking with chances on the day as well when Liverpool were down to 10 men, courtesy of James Madison, a beautiful curler that looked like it was going top bins, but Allison being as great as he is, saving that with the tips of his fingers. Uh, another chance with uh, Hyungman's son, uh, with a, a volley off the chest, again saved by Allison uh, off the strength of his fingers, keeping them in the match. In the death of things, 90 plus 6 with a Pedro Poro cross into the box. Joel Matip hits the ball on the wrong end and it ends up in Liverpool's net. 2-1 to Spurs, 90 plus 6. If you could speak to Joel Matip right now, what would you say uh, about that own goal? It's not your fault. We love you. Forget about it. Nah, I mean, they, they played their absolute heart out, man. It's just unfortunate, but I mean, in the game of in the game of football, with those numbers, I mean, you relentlessly getting attacked, relentlessly getting attacked. It was impressive that they were able to even to hold that for so long. Where like now a draw, like there you're so close. You just got a heart goes out to Joel, and hopefully he's not like harping on to this. He he played. They had that. They played absolutely. With they just they gave it their all, man. And by then you're probably exhausted. Eleven like <laughs> that many, like it's it's a lot that happens when you're just playing with nine outfield players and yeah. just being relentlessly attacked. I mean, when did Diogo get his, his bread? I think it was like maybe the 60-something minute. Like they were early nine players for like a while. Yeah. Yeah. So like in the 69th minute, so they played 20 minutes and change over 20 minutes. It's bruh. Yeah. So he shouldn't worry too much. It was unfortunate and it stinks and it's a bitter pill to swallow, but they'll be back. They'll be better for it. And hopefully they can continue on to come back and put, put in a, an interesting performance. Next time they see Spurs at Anfield, um, multiple goals will be ideal. Hey, I mean, I, I will say I do agree with you that Spurs, Liverpool at Anfield should be something to watch out for, a uh, kind of market calendar type of match, uh, especially with what happened and the goings on with the refs uh, and how they fumbled the bag. Uh, depending on how you look at it, again, Spurs do walk away with the dub, and me personally, I do feel a fourth to be exact. Yeah. That's a while away from now. They might not remember it. No, they remember it. I mean, they, they sure will. That's a market calendar right now type of match. But as a Spurs fan, having succumbed to losses, late losses to Liverpool, questionable losses, some of them questionable decisions, 
the Champions League final. I'm looking at you. Personally, I ain't gonna lie. We ain't never had shit, so I'm taking this for what it is. Let me have it. You don't have to let me have it, but I'm taking it, Pause. if you will. 2-1 win for Ange Postacoglu's men, and I think the most important thing for me is that they played on the front foot. They didn't play hoping for the draw or, or trying to withstand the loss. I would have loved to see how the match would have ended out 11 v 11 because the first 25 minutes were intense football, both sides for both teams. So that's the only thing I guess I could be missing. But unlike you, Spurs took three points. Sorry, Liverpool. So <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> Come on now. But ultimately, last thing on this before we get to that that time. For me, at least, if I'm a Liverpool fan or if I'm Liverpool as a team, if I'm Jurgen Klopp, I'm walking away from this match feeling like I've got a decent crop of players that are willing to die for this badge. I think this is a more of a positive than a negative. Do you feel the same or am I just being outside looking in optimistic because I don't really care and I've got three points at the Spurs. You mean for Liverpool? For Liverpool, yeah. I could lay a couple things out and then we can see how you really feel about it. Mir Possibly Cody Gakpo's hurt with what seems to be a serious knee injury. Uh, Jota suspended, which can't be appealed because I think it was two yellows. Back. Curtis Jones is suspended. I mean, they can appeal that. Um, they lost three points. There is the ongoing huge blow up with referees um, with complaints going back and forth. So it is a little tough to see the positive side when you, when you list all those things together. You know what I mean? <laughs> And then Jurgen Klopp was quoted as saying, like, at the end of the game, it's one of the most unfair games he's ever seen. So, I mean, of course, there are, like, tons of positives that you can take out of it, but it's just, oof, 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 oof. So, based on what you're saying, it sounds like I'm just outside looking in because it doesn't really affect me because we took the three points. But, in my opinion, from what I saw, uh, a, a Liverpool team that is uh, – to be reckoned with that is never say die is just as good with 10 men as they are 11 obviously that's depending on who you play but you talk about the cody gecko going down obviously that injury that's the one point in the match that didn't that wasn't really uh, affected by refereeing or had any bit of controversy there he scored the goal and kind of tweaked his knee on his own. To that, I want to say, I mean, I don't know. For Liverpool, you look at Darwin Nunez, he hasn't been the be the worst this season. He has been giving a bit of an output when he has been playing up top. So hopefully that could be maybe a plug and play or, or a bit of a patch over. Um, it is hard to look at the positives for sure. Uh, and Klopp, some quotes from him, basically saying, he said, uh, I don't know why people are acting under that much pressure today. The, the decision was made really quickly for the goal and it changed the momentum of the game. He basically said, how can the ref explain the situation? Which I get because they were absolutely wrong. Um, and we'll get into that in just a second. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, tough for Liverpool and it's tough to drop three points in the Premier League when you know there's a monster known as Man City lurking around that can go on, you know, 10, 12, 13, 15, 18 match unbeaten run and they're already top of the league with Erling Holland who we talked about who's in poor form but is obviously top of the league in scoring so all points matter um and Spurs is over here disrupting as they said in second place y'all neither here nor there but and then how funny would it be to add insult to injury they get hit with the fine because they probably will because you can't talk about the rest like that and, so tack that on like, well fine for that take that <laughs> And Klopp has been known to get hit with a fine because he do be blacking at the refs. It's sad because it's absolutely deserved. We'll see how the Prem uh, reacts. But if he, if Liverpool and, and Klopp do get hit with a fine, I don't know. There's got to be some sort of repercussions from fans, from something, because that's crazy. Klopp said it himself, he's like, what does it matter what I'm saying? What does it matter that you guys released a statement? What does it matter? It doesn't give us no points. 
It doesn't help us in the case of y'all fucked up. All in all, here we are. Spurs to Liverpool one at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. The first win for Spurs against Liverpool and goddamn, I don't even remember. The last time I could rem- remember Spurs beating Liverpool was 2011 with Emmanuel Adebayor on the score sheet and Luka Modric on the score sheet. That's a name for you, right? That's absolute yeah. baller. Yeah, yeah. He's, he was my baller first. Don't try to do that. He was mine first. Mine first. Nah, man. but Real Madrid got the best version of him, so we got yeah. the baller yard version. Yeah, here we go. See, and and that's why, regardless of what happens, even if Spencer's fucked off by the refs, he still wins. And with that being said, I think we should move into that quick time, uh, that that time that we love, BS of the Week time. Let's get into it, baby. Nobody is doing like what some journalists do. When they write bullshit. Wow, you are afraid to say it, but it's all bullshit stories. What is it? Most of the times it's uh, it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> My beast of the week. I've got one from me and one sent over from our boy Ronnie, who's over there in Turin, as we talked about handling some business. Um, I'll start with mine first. Uh, BS the week, obviously, to the PGMOL, the refereeing union or whatever, uh, the committee that handles VAR and refereeing in the Premier League for dropping a statement that did not mean absolutely anything uh, after the fact. Uh, They said, and I quote, PGMOL acknowledge a significant human error occurred. PGMOL would conduct a, a full review. The goal by Luis Diaz, uh, if we're talking about Liverpool versus Spurs, would have been the opening goal of the match, was disallowed for offside by the on-field team uh, of match officials. This was a clear and obvious factual error and should have resulted in the goal being awarded through VAR intervention, much to Spencer's chagrin. However, and I quote, the VAR failed to intervene. Um, fans were talking about why didn't you draw the lines when reviewing the play in VAR? How can you have a human error when this machine was created to avoid significant human error? Ain't that about a bitch? Um, I think the fact that they dropped a statement isn't necessarily the BS of the week because I think they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. We've seen uh, folks yap about we want to know why the referee made this, this, this decision. We want to know why they did that, why they didn't do that. Um, and when they drop it, obviously, now people are saying it's pointless. So that's not necessarily the BS of the week. However, further tweets from reviews. We've got Dale Johnson at ESPN. This was sent over by Ronnie. Uh, a tweet saying, so the VAR, uh, the VAR referee there in England, checked offside for the goal against Luis Diaz, thinking the on-field decision was goal. Uh, it was a quick offside check because it was clear Diaz was onside, so he told the referee, check complete. And by that he meant onside, or a goal if you will. In telling the ref check complete, he is saying to the ref that's on field, that the decision was correct, and the on field decision was initially offside. How y'all 
gonna run through the VAR check in a way that affects the game that significantly uh, and not do your X's and O's or measure twice, cut once. Uh, be a salute to that. God damn. And I'm saying that as a Spurs fan who took the dub. So uh, a lot of explaining to do, a lot of fixing to do in the game. VAR has been a nuisance in the Premier League more than anywhere else in the world, be it international footy, be it club footy across the world. Uh, in the Premier League specifically, it's been almost like a, I don't know, freak show kind of. You watch it, you see the drama, you react to it. It's almost like a marketing ploy, and I'm starting to believe that maybe that's the case. But BS of the week uh, to VAR, to the PGMOL for how they handled the situation in the Liverpool Spurs game. Nasty, 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 nasty. Now, really quickly for... Rodney's BS of the week that he sent in. Pep Guardiola in that loss against Wolves, calling Wang Hee Chen, that Korean guy, get his name right, fam. Now, what are you doing disrespecting the man like that? Scored the match winner against y'all. He got a name. He's not that Korean guy. There are plenty of Korean guys that have played in the Premier League. Wang Hee Chen is who he is, and he's someone who took three points from the big dog. Um, now, I'm sure Pep Guardiola would be sad if somebody called him that bald guy. Because he's not the bald guy, but he is a bald guy. Not there, no there. Uh, so, BS3 Pep Guardiola, get it together now. What, you, what the fuck is he doing? And that uh, should do it for the BS3 segment. Uh, before we sign things off, Spencer, it's been a rough week, at least for Liverpool, but you got a double with Real Madrid and you got two Bellingham, so all is well. Uh, any shout outs before we sign things off of episode 153 of the Football Misfits? As Spencer says, just pain, no shout outs. Uh, that should do it for episode 153 of the Football Misfits. Um, lots has happened. A lot more to come in the coming weeks. The Champions League is back, y'all, this coming week. Uh, lots of matches to enjoy. We shall dive into that and more on episode 154 next week on the Football Misfits. Again, I am your host with the most, LV. Uh, and for my brother, Spencer, the data desk Spencer Tino for Liverpool see ya sorry cry more we love you guys thank you for responding to us on the Instagram as always uh, stay strong be brave and adios mi gente Hee-hee.